trust the movement I negate the chaos Uplift the negative I'll show up at the table again Welcome to Grassroot Ohio Conversations with everyday people Working on important issues Here in Columbus and all around Ohio I'm Carolyn Harding And today I'm talking with David Harewood And Matina Bliss Organizers with First Collective Working to protect and ensure homes for Columbus houseless residents. David S. Harewood is an artist, advocate, and community organizer. He is a co-founder with First Collective, co-chair of the Columbus Police Accountability Project, and executive committee member of the Columbus Coalition for Rent Control. Matina Bliss serves as the volunteer organizer and treasurer for First Collective. Matina first started volunteering with First Collective during the winter months of 2022, while they were operating an overnight warming station and has been a leading organizer for camp operations. She is also a leading organizer for the First Collective's Stop the Sweep efforts. Welcome to Grassroot Ohio. Thanks for having me. Your press release from Sunday, August 28, 2022 stated, First Collective to hold a series of demonstrations on behalf of Houseless Camp in Columbus, Ohio. Members of the First Collective will hold demonstrations at the homes of several elected officials this afternoon regarding the forthcoming September eviction of Camp Shameless, located at 897 East Mound Street. Camp Shameless is a houseless encampment established on the near east side of Columbus this past spring. So, how did Camp Shameless come to be? Let's start with you, David. Um, and actually, Matina may be better at the uh, details of this, but so we had, uh, because I was, um, <clears throat> I was involved, but out of town. Um, so the warming center at Church for All People, which uh, was down the street on, on Whittier, around the corner, um, was past capacity. And we knew that the, um, the state of shelters in this city are pretty horrendous. And we were in a partnership with the old First Presbyterian Church, whose pastor, Gary Whitty, uh, well, part-time pastor had been brought in, um, had come to me to try to help with community engagement and arts programming throughout the uh, church, right? And um, so members led by um, our now executive director, Elizabeth Blackburn, went to uh, the church and said, we need to kind of hold space because we still have a lot of houseless people who need, need, need warmth, need shelter, need something, and not within the shelter system that has already been egregiously failing. So that went through, um, Matina was through mid-March, right? Right. Yeah, it ended on March 29th. Yeah, March 29th. Um, Tensions with members of the church led to us having to leave the church as a warming station. And uh, we moved to, uh, first to a plot of land right next to the Four Seasons City Farm, and then to a lot right next to it, which was actually two lots, one of which is privately owned, the other of which is um, owned by the city and have been there since. Now, the difference I believe between most of the houseless camps that, that folks have talked about um, and what we're doing, 
we're still very determined that the, that the residents themselves lead their own lives. David, let me go back to the Sorry. beginnings with uh, Matina, and then we'll come back to what you're saying. Matina, in your perspective, how did this camp come to be? And how did you get involved? Yeah, so I started volunteering. Oh, I'd, I'd been a part of First Collective um, starting probably back in November through Casey's Truth and when I started coming to the church because that's where we had our meetings. Um, and then when the warming center started up, which I believe was at the end of January or early February, um, I started to volunteer and just- It was mid to late January. Mm-hmm, just right. kind of be there yeah. and- um, like cook for folks and just like help um, volunteer because we always needed like several volunteers there in various shifts. Um, And so that's how it started on issues with the warming center, which this is an issue with every warming center that exists in Columbus is most churches require that it has to be below freezing for the warming center to be operational. So that meant like if it's 30 degrees, great, you can open for the night. If it's 33 degrees, no, you can't open for the night. And what is the difference between 32 and 33 degrees? Really not much. It's very, very cold. And so when the warming station was shut down uh, due to some conflicts with um, a couple members of the church, we really wanted to keep folks together. We recognized that we were like providing a lot of services and like some form of stability for these people. They had made friends. They had met, you know, people there um, that just genuinely cared for them. And then like people that were in similar situations as that. And we thought if we can keep these people together as like assuming that they want to be kept together, right. Then um, we can uh, continue providing these various services to them and then trying to meet their immediate survival needs. So like food, shelter, water, um, like bathroom utilities and things like that. And so that was like the main goal was to keep folks together so that we could keep them safe and you know, if you're sleeping alone on the street when it's freezing cold, things can get a lot worse. But if it's really cold and you're with a group of people and you need extra blankets and there's people there who can go out and get that stuff for you, um, it at least improves that experience a little bit. Thanks. And David, you were beginning to say something about the um, people of the camp having their voice being, having their choices being heard. Yeah. The system as as it stands tends to um, if not infantilize or completely dehumanize the population they're trying to serve, it, it definitely has dismissed the idea of empathy or the fact that we're actually dealing with grown people who happen to have many of them, a series of problems that have led them to where they were. They're still grown people with their own desires, their own, their own visions. They know who they are for instance, right? And um, one of the things that, that struck me that we, we again, facilitated and c- continued to grow, and it's, it's imperfect, but it, it works, is that the residents leave their own lives. We're not telling them what to do. We're not telling them where to be. Um, we are accepting them where they are and saying, okay, well, how do we help you get to a place where you don't have to sleep in a fucking tent, right? Like, um, and and story after story after story that I've heard about what the city is doing for housing is either inhumane or inadequate um, or essentially lacks 
empathy. Essentially, it lacks the component of listening to the people who actually need to live in these places. Can you Uh, tell me who are these folks in this camp? Matina, who are some of these folks in this camp? Yeah, I mean, they come from a lot of different backgrounds. Like there's a ton of diversity among our folks at the camp. Um, We have some people who have been experiencing chronic homelessness um, for a long time now. So um, James Stevens, he's in the he's in the newspaper quite a bit. um, And he is known on the streets as Big Baby. Uh, He has been living on the streets for 20 years now. And um, he's a different person than when we first met him. But like, He's someone who's the system has been failing for a long time. And then we have other residents like we have college educated residents that were making six figure jobs and then ended up, you know, like something tragic happened in their life. And we kind of like as volunteers and as a community, we've learned that being unhoused, that can happen to anyone. It doesn't matter who you are or what you have. If a series of things like go wrong in your life or something else, you can end up in a similar position. Um, folks who have like a lot of family support and friend support, um, you know, like maybe you're less likely to fall into like literally having nowhere to go. But for some people, they don't have that. We have people who aren't um, originally from the Columbus area and they don't have friends and family to rely on here um, or they don't have friends and family at home that can help them get through this. And they're just a group of people who they all mean well. They're all really wonderful individuals. Um, I've grown really close with so many of our residents and I really love and care for all of them. And they're just, they're just trying to stay alive and move forward with their lives and get to their, reach their personal goals and find stable housing and shelter so that they can, um, you know, strive to do more. And, and, you know, one of the residents who, um, his voice is now carrying quite a bit of weight. Um, We've got a couple of porta pots um, in front of the camp. A couple of weeks ago, you were you were asking about individuals at the camp. This guy's name is Tim, and he's been there for since the beginning. And um, at one point, a couple of weeks ago, we were we were talking about a resident who was leaving us, who's struggling with um, a couple of different mental disorders plus um, an intermittent meth addiction and um i i mentioned in passing that you know maybe she hasn't hit rock bottom yet and tim says to me look we're homeless we've hit rock bottom we're all rock bottom and i countered him because over the course of the last what five months i've watched a group of people hold meetings hold each other accountable set community standards um but some of which fall, some of which, you know, it's imperfect, but it's hardly rock bottom because none, we know that we're not alone. We know that we are not alone. We are, and both the, the sets of, of volunteers and residents in the camp are very open with each other about our lives, about our struggles, about our joys. And one of the, 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 the most brilliant things that I've seen through all of this is that with these individuals, with, uh, there's a, there's a guy, um, his real name is Jesus. It's strange. We all call him Jesse. I didn't believe his name was Jesus until I saw documentation, but anyway, 
for instance, Jesse had not spoken to his brother in Matina, what was it, two years? Something like that? I think it was about a year. About a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, one of our one of our leaders uh, found him, found the brother, and gave uh, gave Jesse, well, loaned Jesse her phone, and he's talking to his brother for the first time in the year, and you can see, you can see the just unmitigated joy in the guy's face because he's not alone because we were able to find some of those resources just to connect him with family. And by the way, he came by, by what, this week, I think. Yeah, I think it was this week. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I, I, I don't know of a, and I'm sure there are others like this across the country, but I don't know of another group that is as intentional about keeping a sense of community together while directly addressing the poor issues that got them into the places they, they, they are without pressuring them into making decisions because they're grown out of people, right? Like, and, and, and I don't- Finish that, yeah. Sorry, yeah, and, I, I'm, I'm, and, I'm, and, I, and I'm sure that I will, would be contradicted at some point if we were to talk to each one of these, um, each one of the residents individually but for the most part, everybody is bought in to each other and to their own growth at the same time. And it's it's been a it's been a brilliant thing to watch. It's been a really moving thing to watch. That is totally counter to the narrative that the mainstream gives about the houses communities across the country. Okay, with that, this is Carolyn Harding with Grassroot Ohio. And today I'm talking with David Harewood and Matina Bliss, and they are working to protect houseless residents in Columbus, Ohio. I want to ask you, in the press release, you talked about a sweep coming up in the near future. Um, Matina, could you tell us what a sweep is and who's in charge of enacting a sweep? Yeah, absolutely. So a camp sweep, which is referred to by the city government as um, camp remediations, um, is when a encampment where unhoused people have lived is basically destroyed or cleaned out. So they typically bring in like bulldozers and dumpsters and everything that's on where the current campsite was. They just like use the bulldozers to like pick everything up, throw it in the trash and like clean the area or remediate the area. These decisions are made by our city government. Um, They really like to kind of point fingers at who's responsible for it. So right now the finger is being pointed at the city attorney's office. Um, Their claim for the reason to have to evict us is because we built a somewhat permanent structure on the lot. As you all know, it is summer in Ohio. We have lots of thunderstorms with heavy rain and wind, which a lot of our tents are no match for. Things kept getting destroyed. And so they just wanted a place that like was more secure and wasn't going to collapse every single time we had a storm, which is like every other day, it's felt like. And so they put 
They cemented some wooden poles in the ground, created a floor out of wooden pallets. And then there's like a clear plastic roof, no walls. Um, and because we built a permanent structure on the lot, it is like a, we, we got a stop work order and they claim that the stop work order also the, what comes after that is a forced eviction. I can't find any Ohio codes or city codes that claim that you have to be evicted for a stop work order. Most of them are like, if you don't follow the stop work order, you pay a fine or you face this many days in jail. Um, but since we've received the stop work order, they did cut the posts out of the ground. So it's no longer a permanent structure. Um, the city has really been talking about how they think that us building that was us telling them that we are going to stay and that this encampment was going to be permanent, which that is not our intention at all as like, we don't want anybody sleeping outside in the winter. It has been our goal since we got out there on March 29th to do everything we can to try to get every resident we have into some type of housing, more secure housing out of the elements before winter. Um, but you know, in the meantime, they're living there and they, we just wanted something that a place where we could store things that would not be completely destroyed every time it stormed. So where will these folks go after a sweep and what kind of housing can these folks afford or even get? That's a great question. Um, so historically in Columbus, um, after a camp sweep, there's not a place for anyone to go. They have rarely ever offered any types of housing solutions for folks. Like they swept here park back in June and there were up to 60 residents living there over the past several years. But I think at the time of the sweep, there were 30 people that they displaced. And I can't, like, I can't say this with 100%. I'm not 100% sure that all of them are still on the street, but I can say that the majority of those residents are still living on the street. They've just been pushed back further into a wooded area and tree line, which makes it significantly more difficult for their outreach workers and their caseworkers to find them and to continue working with them. Furthermore, so they spent $40,000 clearing that camp. Yes. And so it really typically just displaces folks. Um, the city and um, organizations that work with the community shelter board have told us that they are working on a temporary housing option for the current residents of the Mound Street encampment. Um, we don't know what that looks like. They haven't really given us any answers on that. They just say they're working on it. So to be determined if they have a place for folks to go. Permanent housing solutions in, in Columbus take 12 to 15 months on average. So after you fill out the applications and provide every all the information you need, you still have to wait 12 to 15 months, which is what a lot of our residents have been waiting for while they've been staying at the camp. And then to receive temporary housing, there is a completely different application project or process called the HAST survey. The majority of our residents have filled out the HAST survey and those people will be provided with an opportunity for transitional housing if there is anything that the city offers or the community shelter board offers. But as we know, affordable housing is way low in everywhere, in Columbus especially, and truly affordable housing for folks that are houseless. I mean, these folks aren't making, probably they don't have jobs. They probably maybe don't have prospects to get a job. So where can they actually be housed in a safe, humane place, David? So, so actually, I, I challenge you that they're not working. I think, I think about half of our people have at least part-time jobs. Okay. Um, um, at this point, that many got that many got over the summer, but uh, 
where do they go? At, at present, there's not much being offered. Um, and what is being offered is less than humane. There's a there's a group home down the street from um, from the camp. Matter of fact, when I say down the street, I mean across the street and three doors down. Um, that it's it's all women. Um, the reports that I've gotten from those residents is that the plumbing doesn't work, the heat doesn't work, the beds are awful, and by the way, they can't have visitors. So it's not like the housing that people are being offered is humane and autonomous and allows for people to actually be themselves. Um, there have been rumors, but again, nothing solid um, for our people that at one point they were going to get an extended stay for each of them at, for 15 months. And then that kind of went away. We and Matina actually did most of the groundwork on this. We pitched them a tiny home settlement um, for budget uh, that was, what was it, Matina, like 190, something like that. The pitch that we made to them was like operating budgets to continue providing for our residents to meet their like survival needs. And then with this concept of like, we were working on a plan for creating a tiny home transitional housing community. So just like smaller lots around the city of Columbus, like the one we're on building per se, like six or seven tiny homes and then having like public spaces on those lots as well, um, communal spaces. And <laughs> an interesting part about this is, so we are, we are on city property. Typically city property has to be part of the land bank. Um, this particular property is not. The city has owned it since 2007. So for 15 years, they have a contract with HUD um, that they have to build affordable housing on that land. I asked the John Turner, who's the director of, um, I'm forgetting the name of the department, but basically the director of the land bank, like runs that side of things. And he told us that a tiny home transitional model housing, that would be, you know, affordable housing for the lowest income earning bracket in the city of Columbus would not qualify under their current contract. So like the city doesn't build housing, right? They contract people to build it. They hire developers. So they would not hire First Collective to do something like this on this property. It's something that we don't really understand because we are short 50,000 low income housing units in the city. And, um, and it's difficult like too for residents. A lot of our residents have, some of them have felony records. Getting housing, get, getting an apartment with the felony record in any city is really, really difficult. Uh, we had someone who came and was staying at the camp for about a week because he said that he's applied for like dozens of apartments. Yeah, yeah, you can pay a fee for that. Like he works, like he can afford, like I think up to $500 a month. And he had found things that he could afford to live at, but nobody would allow him to live there because of his record. So some people who can afford housing still are forced to live on the streets because there are a limited number of affordable units and those limited numbers do not allow felons to live there. Let me go into an an, um, an area. You have, I uh, have an abbreviated list of your asks that you put in your press release of the city of Columbus. One, cancel or cancel the eviction for 897 East Mount Street. Two, move all homelessness matters out of the jurisdiction of the Department of Development. 
and to the Department of Public Health. Three, end the environmental remediation contract associated with encampment sweeps. Four, create a committee to review and revise practices and policies around homelessness. This committee must be inclusive of mutual aid and community organizations that work with this population, as well as folks currently experiencing homelessness. And five, make space and funding available for an overnight warming center during cold months. We have only a couple more minutes. I would like you to give folks a website or a Facebook page where they can get more information. And then I would like you to wrap up this with what your ask is for the community of listeners. So how can people reach out and get more information? Our website is first-collective.org. So you can find us there. There's information about who we are, um, about the camp and about current projects we have going on. So um, we, on Thursday, September 1st, we're having a resource fair, which we hope to um, build coalition with various organizations and community members around Columbus the goal of this of this uh, event is just to provide free services and resources and community to folks experiencing houselessness in Columbus, Ohio. Um, and then you can also follow our social media accounts. So it's first um, first collective six one four on um, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and we post updates on there regularly. David, if you want to talk a bit about how the community can get involved. Um. Well, I mean, we've got we've got a series of actions that are going on. I, I think that if you're sharing our story, incidentally, I put um, our website in the chat. Um, Just repeat it for the audio. Repeat it. Yeah, yeah. I put a website in the the website is uh, first dash collective dot org, um, all spelled um, conventionally. We do have a resource fair coming up. We do not know what is happening. Um, on the 14th. That is when our eviction was rescheduled to. Um, or the sweep. Yeah, the sweep, right, was was scheduled for. Initially, it was scheduled for the first. We've moved that successfully with good pressure um, to the 14th. We don't know what's happening on the 14th. We would like for the entire community to keep their eyes and ears open for any press release, any message that we send out because we are reacting to what the city is doing as much as we're still trying to help the people who are living in, in, in this camp. Um, but we also have a pretty active social media and conventional media and out, outreach apparatus going. So just as long as people are continuing to be vigilant, we'll, we'll reach out to you, guarantee it. We have a, there's a city council meeting on Monday the 12th. Um, if you can show up to that and support, you know, what we're working on and fighting against this eviction, that would be wonderful. Um, and then also just reaching out to city leaders um, to advocate, you know, on our behalf and just advocate for all the unhoused residents in Columbus, Ohio, because it has felt and has seemed over the past, like over decades that the city has kind of been terrorizing this community and just advocate for them to our mayor's office, city attorney's office and city council. Okay, that's our time for today, but I'll make sure all this information gets in all our um, social media And thank you so much for your advocacy and your work for our houseless folk. And um, thanks again. Thank you very much, Carol. Thanks so much for having me. In addition to our Friday 5 p.m. broadcast on WGRN.org, 
Grassroot Ohio now airs on Sundays at 2 p.m. on WCRSFM.org, 92.7, 98.3 FM Columbus, and at 4 p.m. on WEJPLP 107.1 FM, Wheeling, Moundsville, West Virginia. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Grassroot Ohio, 94.1 FM, WGRN.org. We air Friday nights at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you can listen to all our previous shows archived on the top post of our Grassroot Ohio Facebook page. There's a time to listen and learn, a time to organize and strategize, and a time to stand up, fight back.